Good morning, Woodmont. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds to hear a word from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is a special day in the life of our church because today we are celebrating the 77th birthday of Woodmont Christian Church. Uh, our church was planted uh, in 1943 and the original gathering, the very first gathering, uh, took place over at Woodmont School on Estes Road, not too far from here, uh, when roughly 100 men, women, and children uh, gathered together on a Sunday evening uh, to start a new church uh, in the Woodmont area. So for 77 years now, uh, this church has done its best to live out uh, its mission and to serve this community. Uh, we've had 77 years of worship, 77 years of education and spiritual formation, uh, 77 years of mission and outreach, 77 years uh, of fellowship and friendship. And so today uh, we celebrate that and we lift that up. And we are thankful uh, for the many uh, generations, leaders that have gone before us uh, to guide this church in their day and in their time. And so today we think back to the past and we also look to the future and what it has in store. Woodmont's first pastor uh, was a man by the name of Dr. Frank Drewoda. And he came to Woodmont from Mayfield, Kentucky uh, to be the founding pastor. And, and Dr. Drewoda was an amazing man. Um, he did an incredible job building this church in the early years. And uh, some of you uh, got to know Dr. Drewoda and you were around when he was here. And many of you uh, have not. But one time Dr. Drewoda sat down and he got out a piece of paper and he wrote uh, these words called, this is the church of my dreams. And I always think about these words on birthday Sunday, but this is what Dr. Jawota said. He said, this is the church of my dreams, a church of the warm-hearted, open-minded, adventurous spirit, a church of the people, a church that is high, low, and broad, as high as the ideals of Jesus, as low as the humblest person, as broad as the love of God, a worshiping, working, and saving church, a church that interprets truth in terms of the times, but the challenges times in terms of the truth. A church that inspires courage for this life and hope for the life to come. A church that is worthy of our best. And in these challenging times, I think that we need to reflect upon these words of Dr. Jawoda and continue uh, to be the church in new, innovative, and unique ways. We've started a summer sermon series called Simply Jesus. And last week I said that there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. Many people, many Christians in our culture know a lot about Jesus, uh, who he was and what he said and what he taught, and what he did, but far fewer people actually know Jesus on a personal level. Jesus Christ can change your life. He can change your heart. Uh, 
He can transform your marriage and your family life. He can transform your friendships and your work relationships. He can help you find meaning and purpose in life in a world where many people live every day without meaning and purpose. He will challenge you to be better, to do better, to live better, and to treat other people better. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote a book that's actually titled Simply Jesus. And in the first chapter of that book, Wright says this. He, He talks about the kind of king that Jesus was. And he says this. He says, they were looking for a builder to construct the home that they thought they wanted, but he was the architect coming with a new plan that would give them everything they needed, but within a new framework. They were looking for a singer to sing the song that they had been humming for a long time, but he was the composer bringing them a new song. You see, Jesus teaches us a new way of life a new way of living and being. And we have to pay attention to his teachings and his words so that we can be challenged and so that we can be changed. In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer stands up to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? And the man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you are right. You've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But the man is not not satisfied. Remember, he's a lawyer and, and lawyers always have more questions, right? And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the most famous parables that we have. Vanderbilt New Testament scholar A.J. Levine wrote a book a number of years ago on the parables. And in the book, she talks about this lawyer. And she says, how far off base is this lawyer? He's thinking in terms of a single action rather than a life of righteousness. He thinks of eternal life as a commodity to be acquired rather than a gift that's freely given. He's focused on his own salvation when he should be focused on loving God and loving neighbor, honoring parents, not stealing. And frankly, he's asking an obnoxious question to which Jesus already knows the answer and the man does too. Jesus isn't fooled. So he said to to this man, think about this story. And he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. The stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho was back in that day, very dangerous. It was very steep, it was downhill, still is. And so over the course of about 20 miles, this road would drop almost 4,000 feet. And there were robbers on this road. They would wait for people to come traveling along, especially anybody who was uh, traveling by themselves, and they would attack them, they would beat them, take their possessions, and leave them for dead. And that's what happens in this parable. The man is beaten and left to die on the side of the road. 
And so Jesus tells us about three people that come uh, traveling down this road, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. So first we have the priest. And the priest sees the man lying there in need, beaten and hurt, and he quickly passes by on the other side of the road. Now the priest might be those who would consider themselves highly religious, but who do not understand what religion is really all about. In that day, there were many rules and and, and regulations uh, regarding purity and cleanliness. And so if a priest touched uh, a corpse or a dead body, then he would be unclean and unfit to offer sacrifices in the temple. So it could be that the priest felt sorry for this man, but he did not want to risk becoming unclean, which would keep him from carrying out his priestly duties. He had convinced himself that he had a good excuse, and so he just passed by on the other side of the road. And there are many people like this today. They see people from a distance who are in pain, who are hurting, they're suffering, but they cannot bring themselves to get involved in the messiness of helping. It takes too much effort. It might cost them something. It might make them go out of their way. So they hurry on doing their own thing, staying on their side of the road, staying on their side of the tracks, on their side of the town, staying in their bubble, and they forget about the person who really needs help. Then Jesus tells us about the Levite. And the Levite comes over and sees the man. He, he, he checks things out. Perhaps he considers the possibility of helping this man, but for whatever reason, he too decides to pass by on the other side of the road. He hesitates, he investigates, but then he moves on. And there could be an explanation for this. It was common knowledge in that day, uh, like I said, that there were robbers along the road. And, and if you went and stopped to try to help somebody, it, it could be a setup, a decoy, and, and you could be robbed and beaten and your things could be taken. And so maybe that's what the, the Levite was thinking about. Uh, maybe he had this on his mind and he didn't feel safe going to help. So the Levite in this parable could be those who are fully aware of people who are in need They may even go and check out a situation. They're familiar with the situation, but ultimately they don't do anything to help. The Levite could be those who are fearful and afraid to help because for whatever reason, for whatever reason, just like the priest, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They might be curious as to to what has happened, but in the end, they don't do anything about it. And so they simply go on and they get on with their own lives. And then Jesus tells us about the Samaritan. And in that day, you've got to understand that Samaritans and Jews did not have the best of relationships. They were estranged. There was a lot of tension and and, and resentment. The quarrel and separation between the two had lasted for many years. Oftentimes in that day, if if a Jewish person did not keep the law, Uh, the ceremonial laws, and they would be branded a Samaritan, which was a derogatory term. So most likely the third man who was traveling down the road had been branded as such. He was viewed with great suspicion and mistrust. He was unorthodox. He was unlike the other two. But Jesus said he was the one who actually stopped and helped this man who had been beaten by robbers. 
He was the one who cared enough to do something about this situation. Luke tells us that the man was moved with pity. And not only did he stop, but he bandaged up his wounds. He put him on his animal. He took them to a, a nearby inn and he took care of him. And then the next day he does something even more extraordinary. He gives the innkeeper some money and says, please take care of this man. And if you spend more than this, I will repay you whatever you spend on this man. So Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three was a neighbor to the man in need? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. How does this parable speak to us today? In the middle of a pandemic, where life has been greatly interrupted, what do we take away from the parable of the Good Samaritan? First of all, Jesus answers the question once and for all, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone who needs our help. And Jesus says in the story, it's the one who showed mercy. It's the one who stopped and went out of his way to help the man. It's the one who gave his time and, and changed his schedule and gave his money and sacrificed and helped the man in need. That's what it means to be a, a neighbor. You know, one of the hardest parts about the coronavirus pandemic is that it's much harder to love your neighbor when you hardly ever see your neighbor. It's hard to take care of people when you're afraid that you might get sick by doing it. It's hard to love your neighbor when you're locked in your house for multiple weeks and you're afraid to go out because you don't wanna get the virus. But I would argue this morning that right now, we need to find creative ways to love our neighbor because guess what? There are a lot of people right now who are hurting and who are in need. There are a lot of people right now who have been deeply impacted by the coronavirus and they are struggling. There are a lot of people who are not in a good place mentally, uh, emotionally, because of everything that's going on. And we have to work a little bit harder, I think, to figure out what those needs are. We may need to reach out to people and ask them, how are you doing? Is there anything that I can do for you right now? How can I help? A simple phone call can go a really, really long ways to let somebody know you're thinking about them and that you care about them and that you're here for them. Secondly, this parable teaches us that real pity and real compassion in life should move us to action and not just to feel sorry for people. See, feeling sorry for, for people, that's the first step, but then we have to take the next step and we have to help them. Both the priest and the Levite in this parable felt sorry for the man who had been beaten and left on the side of the road, but ultimately they, they didn't help him. They went on their own way. They got on with their life. So for example, let's think about this in our context. We can feel sorry for kids who uh, don't have a father or a mentor, or, or we can go be a reading buddy or a, a lunch buddy at Fall Hamilton Elementary School. 
We can feel sorry for people who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Or we can go volunteer at Second Harvest or at the National Food Project and help feed hungry people in our community. We can feel sorry for families who live in third world countries where they have little or nothing. Or we can be like so many of the Woodmont members and we can adopt a child in Guatemala and provide their basic educational needs. It allows them to go to school and to have some clothing that makes such a difference in their family's life for like $35 a month. We can feel sorry for somebody who doesn't have a house, a place to live, or we can go and build a, a, on the Habitat Project or, or in the winter come and, and host room in the inn up at South Hall. Feeling sorry for somebody is always the first step. But then making a decision to help is what real compassion and real pity is all about. Compassion should lead us to action. Supporting this church and all of its ministries and outreaches, that's a way that we show compassion for this community and for people that are in need. Lastly this morning, a final takeaway for me from the parable of the Good Samaritan is that we must be willing to go and help other people even if they don't say thank you and even if it means putting ourselves at risk. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but my, my dad, Roy Stauffer, served a church in Memphis for 35 years before he came and joined our staff. Uh, Lindenwood Christian Church, that was my home church, is where I grew up, was born and raised, and it's located in the middle of, of Midtown Memphis. Um, and, and there were all kinds of people over those years that would come by Lindenwood and would ask for benevolent assistance, whether it was gas or help with their rent or, or some, some type of assistance. And, and in that time, all those years, my dad helped countless people. And they would always say, Whenever I get to where I'm going, uh, you know, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. And he would say, no, no, don't, don't pay me back. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Just write a thank you note to this church because they're the ones that are making this, these resources possible to help you. And in 35 years of ministry, do you know how many thank you notes he received? Zero. But guess what? That's not why we help. We don't help people to be thanked. We don't help people to be paid back. We help people because it's the right thing to do. It's how we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, the obvious takeaway from this parable is to go and be like the Samaritan, right? Jesus said, go and do likewise. But think about if we flip this around. What if we put ourselves in the place of the man who had been beaten and left on the side of the road? What if we were the man who was in the ditch? This guy was robbed and beaten and left for dead. What if that person was us? Because the truth is, if you haven't been that person in life yet, on some level, you will be. 
if life hasn't hit you with some kind of storm that you didn't see coming, at some point it will. And when that happens, every single one of us is going to wish that we had a good Samaritan who comes along and who helps us, who takes care of us, who tends to our need and to our pain. Put yourself in that position and think, wouldn't I want somebody to stop and help me? Because make no mistake, there will be a time in your life when you are in the ditch, when you have been beat up, run over, and you might even wonder if you're gonna be able to make it through. And you will want somebody to stop and love you and care for you and help you and bandage your wounds and let you know that it's gonna be okay. And so Jesus says, go and do that. And we should listen because there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain all around us. And there are lots of chances for us to serve and for us to help. Amen.